We, um, myself and Brent went to Vancouver this week for a, a conference, which is great. And, uh, but when I go on a plane, I get, I get all deaf and I can't hear what anyone's saying. <laughs> and I'm still a little deaf. We got back yesterday. Uh, no, we got back on Friday night. But, uh, so I just feel like I'm in a box. And it's like, I'm not in a box. That's good. So, uh, anyway, no one puts baby in a corner. Appreciate the 80s reference. <laughs> all right. That was all just to let people get everyone back in. Hopefully that's not on the uh, recording. All right. I've been preaching through Mark's gospel the last few times. Uh, that I've been preaching probably a few months now, and we are up to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 7 and read right through verse 19. So if you have a Bible, you can follow uh, in your Bible. I read from the NIV. You can read from a different version if you like. It'll be pretty similar, and the words will appear on the screen with the NIV. Here we go. Verse 7 says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went upon a mountainside and called those to him, those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and, they might, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boan Boanerges, which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right. So, we've seen how Jesus' ministry has been exploding so far. He came, he got baptized, and then he started going around and preaching, and he started healing one or two people, Simon Peter's mother-in-law to start off with, and news started to spread, more and more people started to gather. He was in the house, uh, probably Peter's house. There was a big crowd around, and that's when the men had to climb up on the roof and lower the paralytic guy, uh, paralyzed down. Paralytic? Paralyzed, I guess he was, yeah paralyzed guy down, um, and uh, more and more people are coming to hear about him. More and more people are gathering. He's casting out demons. He's setting people free. News is spreading. It's getting more and more chaotic, and as he does that, he's also got the opposition from the religious people to deal with as well, because the religious people don't really like what's going on. We saw last time um, he was uh, meeting with people who they were considering sinners, and they were saying, well, why are you meeting with them? Then he started healing people on the Sabbath and gathering, picking up bits of uh, grain and, and corn on the Sabbath, and the religious people really opposing him for that, saying, well, what are you doing? This is the Sabbath. You can't be working. Do you know there's a lot going on for Jesus right now? It's getting pretty stressful. Um, and in this passage, we see Jesus... And he's under a lot of pressure. He's under a lot of pressure. I mean, it, it, let's go back to verse 7. He says he, he goes to a lake, and he says, and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. And then he says, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions around the Jordan, and Tyre, and Sidon. Well, let's have a look, see what that is. Well, there's the map of Israel. Well, right up at the top, right at the top above where it says Jesus' ministry is Sidon. And then underneath that is Tyre, and there's the Galilee, and there's Samaria. Idumea, right down at the bottom of that map. I mean, that's, people are traveling from a long way to see him. This is, you know, it's not, you're not flying in on a, on a plane. You know, Brent, Brent was thinking six hours on a plane was enough. He was, he was ready to get off. Um, 
so just wait till we land, we'll be okay. Uh, but people are traveling from quite a distance. This is probably, you know, 150, 200 kilometers that people are traveling in just to see Jesus. News of him has been spreading from miles around. And, you know, there could well be thousands of people pressing in to Jesus. And that, that creates a lot of pressure. You know, the crowds, they're pressing in. They're liable to crush him. So Jesus says to his disciples, look, there's all these people. Just get a boat, and if I need to, I'm getting on the boat. You know, I'm getting out. He's got it ready so he could have an escape from the crowds. Uh, just imagine it. You know, sick people pressing in. It says they're pressing in. They're trying to touch Jesus because they're believing, well, I'm going to receive healing for whatever's wrong with me if I touch Jesus. So they're all trying to get to touch him and receive healing. And then there's demons and unclean spirits, and they're falling down before him, and they're crying out, you are the Son of God. I mean, they're not worshiping him, by the way, just in case you're confused by that. There was this thinking that knowing the precise name of a person meant that you've got power over them or mastery over them. But, you know, they were trying almost to have mastery over Jesus, but Jesus is saying, be quiet. He's saying, you know, he's got the authority over them. Just so, in case you're confused, it looks as though they're worshiping him, that demons don't worship Jesus. But Jesus is having none of it. But you've got it, you've got it all going on. There's the ill, the feverish, the crippled. They're pushing in. They're grabbing Jesus. They're demonized. They're howling his name. And they're, and they're in combat and falling down before him. The Pharisees are there. They're waiting for their chance to get him. They're watching his every move. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. We've got to remember that Jesus, although he's the Son of God, he's fully human. He's fully human. He's been born as a man, and he feels this immense strain and this pressure. When you confront legalism as he's doing, there's going to be opposition. People react, more pressure. When people are wanting your time, they're wanting a piece of you, pressure. There's seemingly no end to the people wanting something from Jesus. And it's understandable. It's understandable, isn't it? Because the world is in desperate need of Jesus. The world's in desperate need of hope. People are lost. The Bible says they're like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, that's, that's true of today. People are like sheep without a shepherd. Everyone's turning to something. We're wandering about, and we, if we've not got a shepherd, if we've not got Jesus as a shepherd, it's like, well, what's going to help us? What's going to give us food? What's going to nourish us? What's going to keep us safe? And sheep wander all over the place, and they fall down cliffs and get stuck on rocks. Sheep without a shepherd know they need feeding, know they need shepherding, but don't know who the shepherd is. And so when the real deal comes, when Christ comes, Jesus, the good shepherd, they're looking for well-being. They're looking for meaning in life. And, and they're going to go to Jesus. They're going to travel from miles and miles away. Because here's hope. Here's hope of healing. Here's hope of salvation. Here's hope of peace in my life. And what's Jesus going to do? He's going to turn them away? They've traveled for miles. Is he going to turn them away? Is he going to be uncompassionate about them? He cares for them. He looks out on them. He sees their need. Jesus looked out on a city of Jerusalem from, from a mountain, and he wept because he has compassion on us. Jesus has compassion on those who are lost. So he's not turning them away, but whew, so many people, so many people whose needs need meeting. And there are similar pressures today. You know, none of us are Jesus. But many pastors end up, end up resigning because of pressure. They find it's too much. So many stories of pastors who, who go on for so long, church leaders, and, and then the pressure gets to them, often in big churches, often big churches. Only the last few weeks, two of the largest churches in the Maritimes have had their leaders resign because of stress. Because it's too much. People pressing in all the time, wanting needs met. And, they've, and, and pastors have got a heart. They're shepherds. They've got a compassion in their heart. 
They want to love people. They want to see people's needs in there. And so they don't want to turn people away. And, but it's too much. It's too much pressure, stress. But pressure and stress isn't something which is only limited to pastors, obviously. We can all feel it. We can all feel it in the busy life where it can seem that everyone and everything is competing for our attention. One woman wrote this. She said, the life I've chosen as a wife and a mother entrains a whole caravan of complications. It involves food and shelter, meals, planning, marketing, bills, making the ends meet in a thousand ways. It involves not only the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, but countless other experts to keep my modern house with its modern simplifications. Electricity, plumbing, refrigerator, gas stove, dishwasher, radios, car, and numerous other labor-saving devices functioning properly. It involves health, doctors, dentists, appointments, medicines, vaccines, vitamins, trips to the drugstore. It involves education, spiritual, intellectual, physical, schools, schools conferences, carpools, extra trips for basketball, or orchestra practice, tutoring camps, camp equipment, transportation. It involves clothes, shopping, laundry, cleaning, mending, letting skirts down, sewing buttons on, or finding someone else to do it. It involves friends, my husband's friends, my own friends, my children's friends, endless arrangements to get together, letters, invitations, telephone calls, transportation. It goes on and on. <laughs> and, and you could substitute, I mean, that's one person, but you could substitute and say similar things for any number of different situations that we all face in this room. Put, it, put your own situation in there. Trying to balance jobs and health and family and friends and church. Just the pressures of life. Just the regular pressures of life. That's before we even start to think about reaching out to people as Jesus did. Jesus understands. You know, you could be thinking, man, my life is so pressured. Jesus understands. He understands. He's not someone who is unaware. That's what the Bible tells us. He knows everything we face. Actually, he's been there. He's faced it. He knows the pressured treadmill we're on. He knows. He knows, actually, we want to reach out to other people because we do really care about people, but we just sometimes feel overwhelmed. Just like, he understands the pressures of a life of faith. We had this morning, you know, just a, a word saying, I'm pressing on, I'm trying to live a life of faith. But it's, it's difficult. I mean, well done, Jackie, for sharing it. I can't see where she is now, but well done for sharing that. It's true. Jesus cares. He knows. He has compassion on us. We can receive comfort from him. And, and actually, we can learn from him too. We can remember that when Jesus felt like this, he, ha he had the car running, or a getaway boat, <laughs> for a quick, you know, he's going to get away. It's too much. I'm getting away. I mean, how does Jesus deal with this pressure? It's worth seeing. It, we often separate things out, don't we, in our Bibles. I know in my Bible here, it's like, Crowds follow Jesus, it says, and then you get the little passage, and then it says Jesus appoints the twelve. We can think they're separated out. Oh, here's the story about crowds following Jesus, and now we've got a story about Jesus appointing the twelve and, and going up the mountain. Well, they're just all together. This is what happened. So the crowds are following Jesus, and then the next bit is saying, well, this is how Jesus dealt with it. This is how Jesus dealt with it. How does he deal with it? He went up a mountainside. He's like, these guys are not following me up. He's getting his hiking boots on. He's, <laughs> he's getting his <laughs> ice pick out, you know. It's like, <laughs> thankfully, it wasn't Canada. Um, you know, he gets up the mountain. He gets away. He needed to be away from other people. You know, we need to get away sometimes from it all. We need to get away from, from other people. We need to get that time. Whatever that means for us, whatever going up a mountain might mean for us. And, and sometimes we feel bad about doing it. We feel like we have to apologize to other people. You know, oh, sorry, I can't do this. No, I just, I just really feel I need some time on my own. I really feel I need to get away. I, I just need to get even before God or, or whatever it is. No, it, you know, if someone asks us to do something, it feels selfish or somehow wrong. Jesus needed to do it. It's not wrong. Jesus needed to do that. 
There was a guy called Vince Havener, and he said, if we don't follow Christ's example to come apart, we may just indeed come apart. We need, we need to follow Christ's example to come apart, to separate ourselves off, to just get time. Otherwise, we can just come apart. We can fall apart. We need silence. Not much silence in the world these days. We need silence. We need time to recharge. We need time with God. So it's good to try and find a time to get away. You know, it's not that we have to. It's just good for us. It just restores our soul. It just brings back that peace in our heart to do it regularly. That's why the last time I preached, I, I was trying to stress that the whole thing about Sabbath, which we can see as a, um, as a kind of, because the Pharisees saw it in a religious way, we can see it in a religious way. And we can say, oh, it's just law. Well, we're not under law anymore. We don't need to be keeping the Sabbath anymore. Do you know what? God says it's good to have time to rest. It's good to have time away from work. It's, it's grace. It's the grace of God. He gives us that rest. He gives us that time. We can do it guilt-free. So we can find compassion, we can find understanding and rest in, in Christ. I want to go on from here, but I, I, I wanted to stress that first of all, because I want to apply this passage to church life. And, uh, but keep that in mind. Jesus understands. He gets it. He gives us rest. He wants us to have rest. But I do want to apply this passage uh, also to, to church life because, because here Jesus is giving us something of a model, I believe, as to, as to how we're to operate as a church um, because he calls us to make disciples. And this is what we're going to see in this passage. This is how he's going about it. This is the start of the process. Here is a situation, as we've seen, where Jesus is under a lot of pressure. He's the man. He's the one everyone's flocking to. And, uh, and, and actually, that's a pattern that happens time and, and time again in many churches, as I've said. It can be stressful. People want to come to the pastor of the church, usually the, the lead pastor. If you've got a problem, you call the pastor. If you need prayer for healing, call the pastor. If you have marriage issues, call the pastor. Um, if you need to find out someone's phone number, call the pastor. Um, it, it does happen. Uh, so Jesus had people pressing in, healing him, demons. It's all getting overwhelming in the same way. Now, we, we see in other parts of the Bible similar things going on. In Exodus chapter 18, uh, we, we see that as well with Moses. Uh, Moses leading the people of Israel. Again, he's the shepherd of the people of Israel as they're out in the wilderness. And uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit. Sometimes it's good to have your father-in-law come to visit. Maybe sometimes not. But uh, I think Jethro was helpful to Moses. He sees how busy Moses was getting. It says, uh, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he's being the judge for them, sorting out people's issues uh, morning right through till evening. And he says, what, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning through till evening, they're all lining up, waiting to see Moses, waiting to have their case being dealt with. And Moses, it's an interesting answer. Moses says, because the people come to me to see God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Why are you seeing all these people, Moses? It's too much for you. Moses says, well, they're coming to me. So I'm seeing them because he's got a shepherd's heart. He cares for them. He cares for them. And so, of course, he's going to see them. And Jethro is saying, is there not another way to this? I mean, Jethro saw that Moses eventually is going to get worn out. He's not going to be able to sustain this. So he encouraged Moses and he said, well, look, Moses, why don't you appoint some other leaders? Why don't you appoint some leaders of thousands and some leaders of hundreds and some leaders of fifties and some leaders of tens? Leaders have got different capacities. Different people have got different capacities. Some, some people can lead thousands. Some people can lead hundreds. Some leaders can lead fifties. Some can lead tens. It's just what grace God's given us and 
that's who we are, but we're, but we're all able to care for people. He said, have those care for the people. Have them deal with the uh, things that the, the people are coming to you with at the moment. He said, and actually, when you get the really difficult tasks, when you get the really difficult problems, you deal with those, Moses. So you deal with those, but there's other people who can deal with the other things. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I wonder how easy it would have been for Moses to do that. I mean, he does do that, but it, I would imagine there was a bit of a battle at first, maybe a bit of resistance. Maybe they got a bit of re, he got a bit of a reaction when people come to Moses and say, Moses, I've got this problem. And Moses says, oh, well, you need to go and speak to Aaron, or you need to go to speak to her, or you need to go to speak to um, Nadab. Nadab, he's one of the, you know, what? You're sending me to Nadab? I've been lining up to speak to you, and you're, and you're saying Nadab will deal with my problem. Who's Nadab? I've not heard of him. Moses, I want to come to you. Well, Nadab will deal with it. It was the best thing, though. It was the best thing because it was best for Moses because he didn't get burned out. He didn't have it too much. It was best for the people, too, because they're not having to wait from morning through till evening to get two minutes with Moses. That's what they're getting. They're getting two minutes with Moses because Moses is like, oh, there's a lot of other people here. You know, Nadab's only got 10 people to look after. He's maybe a leader of 10. Oh, great. I've got my issue. I'll go to Nadab. Oh, Nadab, you're just sitting here on your own. You've not got hundreds of people around you. I can talk to you about this. I can actually go through this in quite some detail. He's going to care for them much better. He's going to do a much better job. He's going to be able to follow things up. Hey, how, hey, Nadab, you, uh, hey, you, 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 you spoke to me about this issue you were having. This, how did it get resolved? You know, it, how did it go when I uh, encouraged you to go back and speak to that person and talk with them? You know, wh what happened there? Oh, right. Well, they said this. Oh, okay. But I'm still confused about. And it, it gets worked through. It gets figured out. Moses isn't going to be able to remember your problem. You know, Moses, Moses isn't going to have time. He's actually sitting there anyway. <laughs> All these people are coming. He's not got time to go back because there's thousands of people. Nadab's going to be able to do it. Jesus is doing a similar thing here in this passage in Mark's gospel. He goes up a mountain. Going up a mountain is generally where Jesus got before God. And then he calls those he wanted to come to him. He calls 12 people out of the crowd of thousands. He calls 12. So why is he doing that? He's calling 12 because he's going to disciple them. They're his apprentices. He's going to teach them his ways. And he calls them, he says he calls them apostles. He called them apostles. That means sent ones. He calls them apostles because he's sending them out. That's his plan. And how is he going to do it? Well, this is how he's going to do it. Verse 14. Uh, it says, He appointed 12 that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. I don't know if I've got this on the... Oh, here we are. There we go. He, he does it so that they might be with him, first of all. You see that? They might be with him. Not just come and talk to him. Not just touch him. They might be with him. They're going to get time with him. They're going to relate with him. Get to know him. Actually, as they do that, they're going to get to know one another as well. Now, that maybe isn't going to be as easy or attractive as fair at first. Because here's a group of people, and it lists them all here. You know, Simon, James, John. I, I read the list. All these people who are coming together... Now, they've not got their lives all sorted out. We kind of see it as we go on. We'll see it more as we go on through this gospel. They're not all sorted out. Jesus doesn't call the 12 people who have got their lives organized. He's not like, oh, out of all these people pressing in, I spot 12. They're just kind of hanging around. They don't really need me because they're pretty much okay. So I'll get those 12. Actually, they're not okay. They need Jesus as much as anyone else needs Jesus. He calls those 12 that he wanted, and, and, you know, they're not great. Simon was wavering. He was inconsistent. 
before he became Peter the Rock. He's, he's hot-headed. He's saying things. And he, he's like, you're the Christ. And Jesus goes, yes. And then he goes, and Jesus said, I must die. And, Je- and Peter's, Simon's going, no. And he's going, get behind me, Satan. He's just not got it fixed, figured out. Thomas, he's a skeptic. He's not sure. He doesn't believe what Jesus is even telling him. Andrew, he's pretty average, really, isn't he? What does Andrew ever do? He's pretty anonymous. Simon, he's this zealot. He's this hot-headed zealot who just wants to go after the Romans and kill them all. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, they're arguing all the time. Who's going to be the greatest? They get, get their mother to come and say, whoa, can, can these guys sit next to you, Jesus? And it's like, oh, my word. You know, uh, They're not sitting quietly in the room. Um, it goes on. Judas is there as well, making the treasure. Why do you do that? It's like, it's this ragtag group that Jesus is investing in. He's relating with them. He's teaching them. And together, they're just going to work through the conflict. The conflict comes out as they go. They're on the road, and they're going, and they're healing, and things like, what are you two arguing about? And he's dealing with the arguments as they're going along. We're arguing about who's the greatest among us. What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on. He brings some teaching to them. You've got to be a servant. Now, come on. Let's go. Jesus isn't just gathering them, though, as a social community. Yes, he wants to be with them. Yes, he wants to relate and be a group together. But, but it, it's not just a chance for them to just have fun together. It's, and it's not just a time for them to sit and talk about issues that are going on in their lives. Oh, great, we're, we're the ones who get Jesus. Now, Jesus, let me tell you about my problems. I think I've probably got a few hours here now because the crowds have gone. So, no, they're not, that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're doing. Jesus was very intentional about what he was calling them to do. It says, so that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. In other words, they got to do the stuff. They got to do what Jesus was doing. It's like, whew, they got to do it. Jesus had already told some of them, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. In other words, he tells them right at the start what's going to happen. He says, you're going to be changed. I'm going to change you. You're fishermen at the moment. I'm going to make you fishers of men. As you come to me and as you relate with me and as you spend time with me, I'm going to change you. And you're going to become something that you're not. Jesus takes us as we are. We are not the finished products when Jesus takes us. But when he takes us as we are, then he makes us into something else, someone else. And as Jesus' church... We're called to do the same thing. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, this was to his, these same disciples, but it's to us as well. It's a commission to the whole church. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, what's he doing? This is, this is at this point, Jesus is saying, okay, you've been with me. I've been teaching you. You are my disciples. I've been investing in you. Now you go, you make disciples. You do the same thing that I've done with you. And I'm, you teach them to preach and deliver and all of those things. That's what making a disciple is about. Being a disciple is doing the things that Jesus did. That's what he calls us to. He calls us to do the things that he did. So as a church, that's what we're about. We're looking to build communities of disciples. We're looking to get groups of people together who can relate with someone who can lead them and groups where we can become friends together and we can work out life together. Actually, not just looking to the leader all the time, maybe, but genuinely becoming friends with each other. And I think that's what happened with the disciples in the end. They probably didn't want to be together to start off with. They were probably like, oh, great. We want to be with Jesus. Don't want to be with these guys. Actually, when Jesus had ascended to heaven, they were leading together. They were the, they were the team together. And they related well together. And so that's what we're looking to do. Become friends. Encourage one another. Pray for each other spur one another on. 
Encourage each other to do the things that Jesus did. Encourage each other to serve God with our time and with our money and with our gifts. Encourage one another to leave behind our old ways of life and to see God's kingdom advance. That's what discipleship's about. That's why Jesus took the 12 out of the crowd. That's why we want to encourage us to do that as well in groups of whatever form. Jesus wasn't doing that with the crowd. You've got to see there's a difference here. There's a big crowd here. Jesus isn't doing it with the crowd. He's compassionate to the crowd. He's healing people in the crowd. He's bringing help to people in the crowd. But they're not the ones who are driving out demons. The crowd aren't doing that. The crowd aren't preaching. The crowd aren't praying for healing for people. The crowd don't get to do the stuff. The crowd are taking from Jesus. They're receiving from Jesus. It's great. They're receiving God's love. But crowds take. That's what crowds do. They receive. We can have huge gatherings today of people who want to be near Jesus. There's many times where people can gather in for, for, for whatever setting, and it's like big worship setting, big healing event. Crowds flock to them. They gather big, a lot of people. People are going because they want to experience the presence of the Spirit of God. They want to receive healing from Him. They want to be in a better place afterwards, after they've been to that meeting or that gathering. They don't want more than that, really. They don't want to relate to anyone else who's there with them. You, know, you don't go to a big worship event and, and then think, oh, it's great, wow, worshiping God. I really want to get to know this guy next to me. <laughs> Never met him before, but people don't want to do that. They're not wanting community. They're not wanting relationship. They're not wanting uh, to serve each other in any other way to, than that. They want to just receive, and that's okay. That's okay. We receive from God. It's good to receive from God. But they don't want to be put in a life group. They don't want to be part of a community. They're looking for their needs to be met. And Jesus meets their needs. And, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're here today because you've got needs. And you want to receive the love of Jesus. And you need healing or you need something to happen in your life and something to change. And you just can't really see beyond that right now. And that's, that's okay. And if that's the case, you're so welcome here. We're so glad you're here. We're so, because Jesus is here. And, and we would hope and love you to find hope and comfort. And at the end of the meeting, there's a, we, you, we'll pray for you. We will pray for you. And if you need a touch from Jesus, if you need healing, we'll pray for you. And we hope you'll come again. There are many people in Fredericton who need the peace and hope and healing and love which Jesus brings. We want more and more people to come. We want to gather a crowd. We'd love to gather a crowd here on a Sunday. We'd love this building not to be big enough and to gather a crowd somewhere else. Oh, we've still got the upstairs. It's empty at the moment. We've got plenty more space. But we'd love to fill it. We want more people to come in. Some people are like, no, this is big enough. No, there's, a, there's people out there who are lost. There's people out there who need Jesus. Let's gather them in. And meet Jesus here. We'd love to. We don't want to stay a small church. But, and, and hear me right on this. If you're not interested in becoming one of Jesus' disciples, it's kind of important that we don't get too focused in on you. Now that might seem like, a, oh, what do you mean? Well, the crowds were pressing in. Jesus could have stayed there. They would have kept coming. Oh, I need to meet the needs of this person, this person. There. Jesus took himself away. And he said, I need to get 12 people around me. And it's, I'm going to focus in on them. And you could say, well, that's a bit. But Jesus doesn't call us to gather crowds solely. He calls us to make disciples. Go and make disciples. And, and, and we might struggle to get our heads around that. But you see, Jesus wanted to replicate what he was doing in others. 
Even though he was the son of God, he was just one man. He wasn't able to meet everyone's needs. The people were coming from all over his country, but there's a whole world out there. It was very similar to Moses' situation. Thousands of people, they would have only had seconds of his time. They would probably have only ever had one encounter with him. But he moved on from the crowd to disciple and train up 12. And then later on, we hear that there's 72 who are trained up and who are sent out. And Jesus' ministry is being replicated. And then more and more, he says, go out and make disciples of all nations. More and more people being made into disciples who are doing the stuff, who get to do what Jesus does. And, and, and more people are met. More people's needs are met. More people come to know the love of God. He sends people out in twos to go and preach and heal and, and deliver. Now, these disciples, they're going to mess it up at times. They do. They're not going to understand everything. They're not going to be as good as Jesus at some of these things. We see it in, uh, in, Math in Mark chapter 9, I think it is. There's a man who comes to Jesus and he says, you know, my son, he's convulsing. He's foaming at the mouth. And I went to your disciples. He's like, because you, you told me to go to your disciples. And, uh, and, they, and they couldn't deal with it. And Jesus is like, oh. I mean, Jesus has got compassion. He deals with it. He sorts it out. He says to his disciples, look, you know, you've got to handle this one in a different way. This one only comes out via prayer and fasting. And he's teaching them. Next time they know. But, but at first it's a little messy. You know, not everyone's getting it. Nadab's not got the same wisdom maybe that Moses has got. Oh, I've got Nadab. But the more Nadab does it, the more he's growing in it, the more he's learning. Then he's able to accurately reflect. Same with the disciples. You know? People are like, oh, really, Jesus? You're giving us Thomas and Judas? Great. You get them? What you? <laughs> it's probably not much different to how some of us would feel, how some of you would feel. If you, if you call Joe and Angela, you've got a problem. Oh, I'm going to call Joe and Angela. And they say, oh, good to hear from you. You know, I, why don't you go and speak to your life group leaders? Really? Oh, I kind of wanted you to help me. But, but you see, Joe and Angela can't do it all. If they try, they're going to get burned out. They'll be like one of the pastors who end up leaving the ministry because of stress. I mean, we love Joe and Angela, don't we? We love them, but, but when we want them all the time, and so does everyone else, and we're not thinking about everyone else, but everyone else is wanting them all the time, we're not being loving towards them. I mean, I'm, I'm using Joe and Angela as an example because I know they're going to be the ones that we all still go to. Because not many of you are wanting to come to the new English guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> But yeah, so I get to say it. <laughs> but you know what? Jesus didn't only get his disciples doing the stuff because he was stressed out and busy. He got them doing it because that was God's plan for the advancement of his kingdom. That was his plan. That was the better thing all around. And, and eventually, they got it. His disciples got it. So in Acts 6, uh, verses 1 to 4, they, they have the complaints. In those days, the Hellenistic Jews, they're complaining against the Hebrew Jews. There are all these disputes going on. That's just church life, guys. There's these disputes going on, and the widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. So they're coming to the 12, and they're saying, guys, you need to sort this out. And they gather together, and they say, do you know what? We need to focus on the ministry of the word and of prayer. Uh, so why don't you choose seven men from among you, full of the spirit and wisdom, and they'll sort it out. We'll turn that responsibility over to them. They've got it. They understand that's, that's what they do because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I know what I've got to do and I'm investing in you guys and you can go and do it. And, and the, the apostles then are saying, there's other guys. Well, these aren't, these aren't just guys who are, who are like, oh, they've got nothing better to do. These are guys who have got faith, who are full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of wisdom. Uh, you know, two of them are Stephen and Philip. We get to find out what they do later on in Acts. They're pretty significant things that they end up doing. Jesus says, you know, they, they say, oh, just help sort this problem out with the distribution of the bread. Oh, is that all I've got to do? No. 
you go out and you evangelize and you, you, you get the Ethiopian and you, you're baptizing him and uh, all of that. And Stephen, you know, ends up being the first martyr. But preachers, the word of God goes out. So what about us? Well, we're wanting to be a church which models itself on Jesus. We want to be a discipling church. So that's why we, we encourage people to get into small groups like Jesus did. We're not just doing that because we just want to schedule another meeting for you. It's actually, it's not about a meeting. If you're seeing it as about a meeting, you're not understanding what it is that we're doing. We're wanting to get you into groups where you can get to know each other, where you can be friends together like Jesus did, live life together, be involved in each other's lives, care for each other, pray for each other, um, you know, take care of each other, meet needs when you need to, stand by each other, encourage and teach each other. And, and as we do that, we'll put, you'll get groups together and there'll be a wide range of people in them. You know, some people are going to be hot-headed, like James and John. Some people are going to be quiet. Some people are going to seem pretty anonymous. Some people are going to be quirky and, and have some kind of interesting ideas. Some, some people are going to have doubts. Some people are going to be new to the faith. They're going to be kind of inexperienced. And, and everyone in those groups is going to have a role. We all have a role. We, you know, we can all default to say, oh, it's the leader. Oh, okay, well, it's the leader who's doing it all the time. No, it's not. Jesus calls us all to minister to each other. You've got to realize that you're needed in, that, in, in, a, in a mixed group like that. Otherwise, you're just going to say, oh, I just want to be in a group where everyone's like me. I'm just going to, why, why do I have to be with all these people? I don't even like them. I don't even get on with them very well. No, that's, it's deliberate. It's deliberate. Because that's what Jesus did. You know, if you're mature in Christ, don't get exasperated with new people who are in your group or immature people or people who say things that you just think, oh, don't they know any better than that? Well, come alongside and meet up with them and go out for a coffee and get to know them and encourage them and begin to teach them yourself and disciple them. And if you're a new believer yourself, or even if you're not, get alongside others you can learn from. To be honest, we never stop learning from each other. There's always people. I love being in a group where there's people who are, who are older than myself or, or, or older in, in God as well. Because I'm like, I can learn something from you. Because there's always people we can learn from. You know, it's fantastic coming here and it's like, wow, there's so many people that I don't know and I can learn from them. Because there's things, there's a lot that... We all don't know. Like I said, you might not want to be in a small group. That's fine. But it's the best place to get cared for and developing your walk with God. And you'll end up being a disciple of Jesus. You'll end up doing the stuff. You get to do the stuff. And, and Jesus is calling you into that. We're calling you into that. We'd love it if you said, I'm in. I'm in. I'm part of this. I want to be part of this. I want to be committed to it. I want to be committed to this church. I want to be committed to each other. Not just the leaders, but to each other. So some of us, some of you, a few years ago, I think there was a kind of encouragement to become members of the church. And, and some, I think, struggled with it. And they're like, well, what's this about? I don't really get it. Why do I need to become a member? Well, it's just, it's just as it's simple, really. It's a similar thing. You're saying, I'm in. I'm part of it. I'm committed to this church. I'm not just a part of a crowd who goes to this place in a, on a Sunday morning, but then there's this place to go on a Sunday evening, and then there's another place I can go midweek, and there's a Saturday evening thing I can go to as well, and I'm just going to be part of the crowd, and I'm going to move around to where, no, I'm, I want to be a disciple. That's what it's about. And membership is just a way of saying that, really. We grow in maturity. We'd love you to join us. Don't stay as, don't stay as one of the crowd. It's great to receive from Jesus. He's calling us into more. He really is. He's calling you into more. He wants us to be in closer relationship with him and with others. And we get to do the stuff. And if we're not involved, there's a danger of just being like in the audience. If you're just in the crowd, we can easily become a critic. Like when we watch sport. Um, if we watch sports and we, we feel we know how to do it better. I watched the Super Bowl last week. I'm not really a big football fan. I, d I didn't really know much about football. I'm, I'm to ask at the start of it. I was with Gary Gallant. I'm like, oh, so what's happening here and how does this work and everything? Well, you know, by the end of it, I'm, I'm like going, well, why didn't the Falcons run the ball then? 
Why didn't they just kind of kick for a field goal? I don't get it. Why didn't they run the clock down? And <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of thinking, well, if they had me as their quarterback or their, you know, the guy on the, then they'd win. I didn't even know the rules at the start of the game. Like I'm some sort of expert. I'm being the critic. <laughs> if they put me on the field, I'm going to get a different perspective. <laughs> some of these guys running at me, and I'm like, oh, I'm backing up. <laughs> We're not advancing here, guys. <laughs> It's easy to be a critic when we're in the crowd. It's different when we're involved, when we're in the game. Jesus is calling us to be in the game. Those of us who are on the staff or elders, sometimes our job's to do the stuff. Do you know what? Mainly it's to be coaches. If you're going to use the sports analogy, that's what, I, that's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Ephesians 4 says. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do the stuff. It doesn't say to do the stuff. It says to equip his people for works of service, to be a coach, to equip others so that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you get it? It's like we're here and apostles and prophets and teachers, those of us who are pastors, to equip you, to encourage you, to disciple you for works of service. We don't just want you to come and watch us play. We want to get you in the game. And, and it's tough in the game. Brent was saying last week, we're weak. We find out, we find, whoa, we can't do it. We're backing up. Actually, it's then in our weakness that Christ is strong and he will shine. And we're not going to become a critic if we're in the game. I'm coming to the end. In Matthew 9, 36 to 38, Jesus looks out at the crowd and he has compassion on them because Jesus has compassion on us. And he says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. He knew, <laughs> like they're all coming to him. <laughs> workers are few. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest for workers to be sent out into the harvest fields. That's what we're involved in. It may seem a little daunting, but as we go on together, we'll have God's spirit helping us and we'll find we've got increasingly close friends who we can come alongside and we can share each other's burdens because we've related to each other and we've got to know some people. You know, most of us are not going to get to know Joe and Angela well. They'd love to. I know their heart. They'd love to. And they, and they do a pretty good job at it. They're not bad, but it's not going to, and if we fill in the balconies, and it's not going to happen, you know, but we can get to know each other, and we can share life with each other, and so much of the stuff that we struggle with in life, it just gets sorted out when we've got friends. So many of us are lonely. So many of us don't know who we can turn to. We go, we go, to, we go to counselors. We go to therapists. Just go to friends for much of it much of it. That's God's model. Jesus meets us in the crowd, but he doesn't want to leave us there. He calls us out of the crowd to be his disciples. He calls us into a relationship with him. Maybe you've never known that there's more to Christianity than showing up at church on a Sunday and being part of the crowd looking in. I was once like that. I used to go to church. I didn't think there was any more than showing up on a Sunday. Maybe you're super stressed. Maybe you don't know who to turn to or where to look for help. Jesus is looking at you with compassion today and he wants to meet you and he's calling you to come to him. He's calling you to a new life. It's going to mean your priorities changing. It's going to mean your desires changing. It's going to mean everything changing, to be honest. But you know, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. You can come to know his love today if you've never known it. You wouldn't have been able to because your heart was turned away from him, but Jesus dealt with that on the cross. He died on the cross so we could know him, so we could know the love of God. He, he, he took the punishment for your sin so that you could come and be called out to know him and know his forgiveness and love. And for others of us who do know God's love, maybe life's just got too stressful. 
Maybe you just think, I've, I've got to back off. I've got to, I've got to go to the sidelines for a bit to try and cope. I've got to regroup. I can't commit. Do you know what? Actually, it's when we're in community with each other that these things get worked out. Our default is to back off. Don't back off. Don't back off from each other. Jesus is calling you out of that stress and strain into a deep relationship with him and with others. He wants us to be those workers who are sent out into the harvest field. He's calling us to be the ones who show his compassion and his love to a stressed world. And, it, and even though you feel too stressed to do it yourself, he's not calling you to do it alone. He didn't send his disciples out alone. He's forming us into communities of friends and disciples who are going to encourage each other and strengthen as we go. And we work out the problems as we go. We work them out on the road. You'll find new hope. You'll find new life. You'll find that Christ will give you strength. You'll find you're able to do all that he's called you to do. Will you respond? Will you come? He's calling. He's calling you today. Let's pray, shall we? The worship band can come up. I'll just pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your plan of salvation. Lord, I thank you it was all through Jesus. I thank you we didn't have to figure it out ourselves. I thank you, Lord, we didn't have to get ourselves out of the mess we were in. God, you came. You had such compassion on us, such love for us. You saw how helpless we were. And you came and you gave your life for us. He's a good shepherd. Oh, and you shepherd us still, Lord. You come and you bring us peace and hope and joy and love. But God, I thank you you don't leave us there. I thank you you don't leave us in the crowd. We love those times when we meet with you, but Lord, you call us to more. You've got a plan of salvation which you want to reach the rest of the world, to all the rest of the hurting and lost people. And the, and the harvest is plentiful and, and the workers are few. So Lord, I believe it's time for many of us to this morning to say in our hearts, do you know what? We can't do it ourselves. It, it seems impossible, but we see it in your word and we're choosing to walk in faith. As Jackie said, in that really honest, yet faith-filled encouragement to us, we're choosing to walk in your ways and we're believing things are going to be different. And we believe in we're going to be changed. And you'll not only change us, you'll use us to change the world and be part of your plan. We don't want to shy away from what you have for us, Lord. We don't want to back off. Forgive us for when we have. Lord, we hear your call. And we're in, Lord. We want to do it. We respond in faith.